and welcome to 15 Minutes in Canberra. My name is Hayley Channer and I work for the Perth US Asia Centre. Today we're talking to my good friend Matthew DeLeo. Matt works for DFAT, uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, and he's going to give us some of his um, insights into his career and personal life working for government and growing up in Perth. Matt, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Hayley, and it's great to be the first guest on your podcast. So, Matt, we've worked together before at the Department of Defence, and I know that you've had a background working in Austrade, but give our listeners a little bit of background into how you came to move from Perth to Canberra and how you came to work for government. Mm. Well, it's a bit of a meandering tale because um, I had I grown up in um, Kalamunda, which is outside of Perth, which probably some of your listeners will think is, you know, the country. But I, I, I swear it's part of the city. And um, I look, I wanted to be a journo when I started. And I thought, you know, a good way to kind of crack that would be to have a broad uh, level of education. Um, I was interested in politics and history, too. So I thought if I can combine a love of writing with politics and maybe I could be a foreign correspondent. But um, turns out it's a little bit harder than I thought to do that sort of thing. And <laughs> I didn't have a lot of, let's say, government or uh, international relations focused role models mm. in my life growing up. Um, you know, we had a pretty a pretty neat, pretty tight family, but, um, you know, there were a lot of uh, tradies, there's a, a few professionals, but, you know, my dad was the first in his family to go to uni, for example. Um, hmm. So, it so you didn't come from a family own. of diplomats then? No, no, not a, not a family <laughs> of diplomats. And it was, it was very unusual. And to me, it was an abstract concept growing up. Um, so, you know, I, I thought I'd kind of like kick it around and see what would happen with journalism and I uh, did a few internships and things and it, I didn't like it, I think. I, I just didn't get into the mould of asking the questions in a way which uh, you really need to, um, maybe I wasn't targeted enough in, the, in that kind of, you know, grizzled stereotype way. Um, so then, you know, I, I, I started travelling a little bit. Um, I did uh, some uh, exchange overseas. And then I came back and thought, well, look, I, I want to do a, a master's degree in international politics and, and really explore this. And that was when I came across DFAT. I mean, look, it might sound ridiculous to some of your listeners as well, but I didn't know, I didn't really gather DFAT or, you know, the Australian government's international organs as a concept until I was in my early 20s. Um, hmm. might seem a bit naive, but it just wasn't something that I was confronted with much. And, um, you know, international diplomacy was uh, a thing that, you know, a rarefied, really detached elite did. And it didn't seem like something hmm. that a kid like me could touch. Well, I mean, I grew up at the Gold Coast and I had to come to the stark realisation that I really did need to leave the Gold Coast to have a career in foreign affairs. <laughs> <laughs> totally, unless, you know, you, I mean, you could be involved in tourism at least, but, uh, yeah, yeah a, little that's bit, right. a little bit limiting. And Perth in some ways uh, was the same, but it also could have been just the circles that I was, was hanging out in. Um, so when I went to Melbourne, I started to meet a lot of people that were uh, either in and around the circuit. And, that, and in that sense, I mean, like, they might have been the children of uh, diplomats themselves. You know, uh, lecturers that I had at university, um, I got involved in a non-profit organisation over there called the Australian Institute of International Affairs. I know it well. People. You know it well as well. <laughs> yes. That's right. You're a former alumni, I forget. Um, Intern. And 
and it, and it, and it helps because then you start to kind of meet people who've been involved in the profession and it becomes, it's demystified. Mm. Um, and so through that, I kind of like gathered experience and uh, contacts. Um, and it came time finally for me to actually apply for graduate programs. Mm. Um, and I was in Victoria then and I, I really liked living in Melbourne. So I'd applied for the Victorian government grad program, but I also applied for DFAT and, uh, I didn't get in. Um, you know, and funnily enough, ironically, there were friends of mine from class who had applied for both programs too. And I got through the VicGov one. They didn't. Um, and so I always held that over them as an example of how much more, you know, professional and prepared I was. But, you know, they are, uh, they are DFAT employees and they've had, um, really successful careers as well. But they, mm. you know, they got a, a jump start on me. Um, and I think at the time I didn't know what to think about it, but, um, I it's hard been a when you get blinkered. knocked back. Well, it was. And, you know, when you, you – the first few times you go through something like this, when you apply for jobs and you get kind of knocked to the side, you wonder if it's something wrong with you or, mm. um, you know, will you ever make it? You have all these catastrophic scenarios. But the reality is it's all a moment-in-time analysis. And, you know, whoever was in that pool might have written a better application. They might have interviewed stronger than you did. Mm. So you just don't take it personally. And so you just bounce back up and go again. But I think that getting a job uh, in that graduate program with the VIX was um, one of the best things that could happen because I was trained in a broader form of policymaking and also program management um, that really set me up with the skills that I needed and then could draw on for future roles that I had. Hmm. And, you know, and things kind of take on a life of their own from there because from Victoria, I um, met uh, people that worked at Austria, the Australian Trade Commission, and, you know, we worked together, some things went well, and they offered me a job. Mm. Um, and Austrade was one of those places that I had kind of looked at with DFAT. And, um, so is Austrade part of DFAT? It's in the portfolio, yes. Okay. Yes, it's in the broader So you're basically portfolio. sort of on the outskirts. You're still in the tent now. Yes. Yeah, so it was so I guess at that point it sort of walked into the tent, a very broad tent. But mm-hmm. um uh you know the the work is uh different in the sense of it was far more um you know practical action orientated in that you were working with Australian companies and international companies. So it was all international focused work, but it was less say on the policy making side and more on the, you know, implementation side. It was very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got, got to do some great things there. Um, and from Austrade, you know, things kind of moved again, but I wanted a kind of a different experience. And that's why I joined the Department of Defense, which again was, you know, a combination of just um, luck and being in the right place. Hmm. I had met people who were working there. They thought that I had an interesting perspective. And so they put you in touch with people who, um, can, you know, can encourage you to make applications. They can look through things for you and make sure that you're in the right position to get a job. And that's where I met you, of course. And, you know, everything the fantastic happened from that point, of course, Haley, as I say. <laughs> but also, this is something that people might not know. The Department of Defense has a very um, strong international section full of people who are um, foreign affairs nerds. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, if there's one thing that I would have liked to have known when I was in my early 20s is that um, don't be blinkered and think that there is really only one place either in government or elsewhere that you can do uh, international focus work. You can do it in a whole range of places. And, you know, there are the traditional agencies, 
um, DFAT, you know, defence with its international network. Uh, Home Affairs has this as well. Um, but, you know, uh, Prime Minister and Cabinet has a big international division. Mm. Um, you know, departments of agriculture have people posted overseas doing trade and market access, um, education, and, of course, and the other agencies around as well. So... I think being broad and open-minded about the kind of work you can do because those skills are valuable in so many different places. Mm. But, yeah, it, I mean, defence was defense was uh, different. I don't know when I was at uni that I had – I think I had almost casted off a shortlist because I was, <laughs> you know, borderline a little bit bullshit and thought, I don't know if I want to work for defence. But it was <laughs> it some of the most interesting image, stuff I've done. doesn't it? You know, that it's quite militaristic and – yeah, it does. And I don't know how you found it um, because, you know, I think we're also from maybe more academic background, but um, you just rubbed shoulders with some people that had done some cool things. Definitely. And you were doing, you're working on issues that were at the forefront of, um, you know, most pressing security questions of our time in terms of uh, Australia's interests. And, you know, I got to do things like go and represent Australia at the NATO College in Rome. Now, why was I doing that? If you asked me that before, I would have said, well, that seems ridiculous. But I got there and you understand the stuff and you meet the people from, you know, all across the alliance. And, um, you know, you're at this defense college and you're in the mess kind of shuffling your tray next to these colonels. And, you know, I don't know how seriously they took me as a, as a kid who's never picked up a gun. But, <laughs> you know, we had interesting conversations about things. We sort of pressed back and forth our issues. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't have thought to have, you could have done that at defense before mm. uh, I joined. So, Matt, you now work with DFAT. You're based at uh, the Australian Embassy in Seoul in South Korea. Uh, what's it been like for you over there? Have you been um, really affected by the virus, by COVID-19, and how have you found the, the other staff you're working with? Yeah it's, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting decision to move during a, a pandemic. Um, but, look, in, in terms of places that have been affected, Seoul um, – you know, has a few hundred cases a day. It was up to a thousand not long ago. So there are restrictions. We can't gather in groups of more than four. Things close early. Um, but what has happened is, um, you know, you've got a very supportive embassy community. People really band together um, over here. And so uh, you never really felt like you were, um, you know, alone in anything. There's always uh, people that support you. Um, and the work is still really important. I mean, there's the, there's the, the high um, impact stuff of the Australians that are, that are caught overseas who are trying to get home. Um, but then there is also the ongoing um, relationship stuff that we're trying to manage with um, the Republic of Korea. Um, and that stems right across from the trade uh, relationship where, you know, they are our fourth largest trading partner to the, um, you know, again, uh, security dynamic, the very um, difficult question of, you know, North Korea. Um, and again, um, mm. the Republic of Korea's position in the Indo-Pacific and um, you know, our views on the world, which are really similar. So there are, there's a lot that we can do mm. and there's a lot that we have to keep pressing, even though it's a, it's a very um, tricky environment to do it. You know, meetings have been hard to get, for example. I don't know if you've met many South Koreans yet, but when I was in South Korea just on holiday, I found South Koreans so much like Australians, particularly in their sense of humour. Um, and how sort of mm. blunt and direct they are. So I was surprised by that and really loved South Korea. So you're very lucky. Um, 
as you know, like a lot of people would love to work for DFAT and we've gone through, you know, a few other different career paths that they could take in terms of other international affairs areas of departments. But say uh, you're really, really keen to get into DFAT. It is competitive. Um, obviously, a lot of people would love to work there. Can you give people sort of three key tips, you know, if they were aspiring and just recently finished university or even just looking for a career change? What are three key things that they should be focused on? I think first of all, um, there's no cookie cutter. So have a broad, have an open mind is what I'd say. Like it's good. You have to have a goal and know where you want to get to, but don't think that you need to kind of roll off the arts law production line to, to get a job with DFAT. I mean, some of the most interesting people I've met who've worked there have had backgrounds which are, uh, you know, uh, one, one fellow is a, a slam poet. Right, yeah, he's a slam pop and, and, and got a job. You know, there are there are journo's out there. There are, um, you know, there's a, a marine biologist I've met who's kicking around. Some chemical engineers, people who've worked for airlines, um, people who have done things that are outside the norm, um, and that just means that you've got a different perspective and you get away from the group think. Um, and I so and I guess getting back to what that means for each individual is, don't feel like um, you have nothing valuable to add. You'll have a unique selling point. And uh, DFAT will look at that, like other agencies will look at that because everyone's so be looking yourself. to increase the diversity. Yes. I mean, you've got to know your stuff and, you know, uh, demonstrate a, 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 you know, an, an understanding and, and, and a passion for it. But don't be afraid to be yourself as well. Um, I'd say, again, you know, look for opportunities to volunteer you know, to look for agencies, you know, not-for-profits and that sort of thing who are uh, involved in the space that you're interested in. Because it's a way to, I guess, test your understanding of issues because people will come at it from a different direction, but also to meet people who could act as role models if you've not had a chance to have those sorts of role models before. And will also then, um, you know, if you're lucky, could introduce you to other people who may have um, different opportunities. But, you know, it's being open-minded, but putting yourself in the position where um, you're meeting people. And you're also helping an organization who many of these small um, advocacy groups or um, not-for-profits, they run off the smell of an oily rag. So you're mm. contributing something to them while you're hopefully getting something interesting in return. And the third thing I say would be perseverance. You, you've just got to you've just got to keep kind of having a it's go. So true, isn't it? For every job, perseverance or totally, tenacity. Totally, because you'll get you will get knocked back for various things at various times, and then you know things will happen, and that'll be great. And you think you're kind of on a roll, and then you get knocked again. Um, and sometimes it can feel like you're in a bit of a treadmill. Even you know within um, DFAT, there are things that come up all the time. And you know the South Korea uh, job was you know I'd applied for postings before as well. Um, you know, I didn't get it on my first go. Um, it's rare that people do, but it happens. Um, but you keep going and you try again and again. And then if you um, uh, keep at it, things will happen. Um, mm. You know, you've got to do a lot of other things in the background too. It's not going to fall into your lap. But mm. just don't be disheartened is what I'd say. So persevere. That'd be my tips. That's great. I, ring, I think that really rings true for me personally. Um, now, this isn't the first time you've been overseas. Um, I know that a lot of people, if they are looking at a career in foreign affairs, will travel overseas. Um, has there been anything weird or interesting or wonderful that's happened to you when you've been overseas, whether it's now in Seoul or somewhere else? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a few little stories and anecdotes, but there was one <laughs> that I had when I was in uh, China, actually. And um, I had met with uh, a state-owned enterprise 
Um, and we were talking about, you know, um, some particular things. It was a lot, uh, cooperative. It was really constructive. Um, and then we went to the chairman's private dining room afterwards and we're sitting out the back there with him and there's a group of, I don't know, maybe 15 people. Um, I didn't speak any Mandarin and so there was an interpreter and some others. And the chairman at one point made a joke and you can tell because everyone starts to, they look at you and they, they kind of laugh. And so you just kind of <laughs> because wait they, they laugh for before them to explain. the translator, <laughs> the yeah, translation they, they, they is happening. Now, um, you know, it won't So you already know you're your, primed to laugh, correct? I, I, I'm kind of primed to laugh. And also, this is one of those things where, you know, look, I am um, of Italian background, so I've got, um, you know, darker features. So, you know, when you travel to certain places, some um, people aren't, you know, immediately uh, recognise the fact that you're Australian. They might. They, they just don't get it straight away. So I've had that happen in places I think, sure, I'm waiting for it. And so the chairman, through the interpreter, says to me, you know, I just want to know if you're Australian. And so, you know, and I'm preparing for the answer about my, about my family heritage. And so I said, oh, you know, that's interesting. Why does he say that? And it comes back as, um, well, because you know how to use chopsticks and you're not fat. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you kind of laugh and you take that in the spirit of directness that um, uh, some cultures have. But you, you kind of sit there and you go, wow, I've, I've been skewered here. So, you know, there are plenty of other little tales like that. And these things, you sort of collect them over time. But um, mm. that's kind of stuck with me as an interesting cultural interactive moment. Definitely. Well, Matt, thank you so much. I regret we only have 15 minutes, but this has been very valuable. I wish you all the best in your posting over in Seoul. Um, my Perth US Asia Centre is prides itself on strengthening relationships between Australia and countries in the Indo-Pacific, and you're making a huge contribution to that. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much. It's great to be here, Hayley, and good luck with the rest of the podcast. <laughs>